You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. I'm your host. Today, our guest is John Riley, one of our Tri Training Harder coaches. Um, he also is a pilot, he's an athlete, and I, I would like to welcome you, John, to our podcast. How are you? Um, very good, Diego. Thank you very much for having me along today. It's a pleasure. How is um, the weather in the UK? Well, you know, it's November, so it's not particularly pleasant out there, but it's not rainy today, so could could be worse. That's a plus then, if it's not raining. <laughs> anyway, John, so my first question for you is one question I usually make to everyone that we have in our podcast, which is um, how you got involved with triathlon, how it showed up in your life. So I started off as a swimmer, came from a swimming background, I swam all the way through school. And like, my first kind of multi-sport event was maybe when I was 13. I was obviously a good swimmer. And I was on the, I quite like cross country at schools. So I was on the school cross country team. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, my PE teacher entered me for the, the biathlon championships, the modern pentathlon biathlon, which is you do a, you do a swim, 200 meter swim, and then you have like a massive recovery. So it's not continuous. And you go and do a 5k run. So me and some friends from school who were also on the swim team, we did that. And I think we actually won the national championships having, I think it was a very small event and, so it was quite good. So that was, my school was a really big rugby college and everyone was really sporty. But so for me to get some sort of recognition in in uh, swimming and running was really good at that stage. So that's where my passion for it really started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really get into the cycling part until after uni. I swam, I swam all the way through uni. I went to uh, Durham University as other famous... Um, attendees such as Philip Hatzis, he went a few years after me and uh, he was a big part in setting up the tri-club there. When I was there, there wasn't a triathlon club, so I was just, I was on the swim team, I was the swim team captain, I was all about the swimming at that stage. Um, then it's after I, after I left uni and I started my career, I had a bit more, a bit less time for swimming, so I thought I'd fancy getting into triathlon and some of the old um, swimming friends from Durham, they had this wild idea of um, you know, instead of meeting up for a, a few drinks or something, we'd meet up and do an Ironman together. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we all entered Ironman Zurich, I think, the year after we graduated, maybe. So, yeah, I'd, I'd moved away from uni and started working over in Northern Ireland in Belfast. So I joined the triathlon club there, turned up without a clue about triathlon. And uh, the, the folks there were fantastic. They got me training in the right way, got me buy a bike and took me out cycling teach me all the you know the ropes that um a beginner triathlete needs and i loved it did a few races over there and then turned up at um ironman zurich and the other guys that <laughs> that had uh, entered didn't actually do the race because they hadn't done any training so they came and watched me and drank beer on the side so <laughs> <laughs> i'd done all the training so i thought well I might as well give us a go <laughs> um yeah so that's my first ironman quite a few years ago now and I've just um you know I was I was hooked from then just kept going entered a few more bought more expensive bikes so that obviously made me go a bit quicker and then it's been getting quicker and quicker ever since it's been quite nice 
And you, in what year was the, the first Ironman? So that was 2000, uh, sorry, 2010, I think. Okay, 10 years ago. Yeah, a while ago now. Um, and what were you doing in terms of a job by the time? So that's when I'd, um, I'd uh, started my career as a pilot by then. So I'd just been through, I left uni and I went through the flight school, um, which took about 18 months. And I'd, I'd just started my first job, which was with Flybe, flying out of Belfast Airport, doing like regional flying around the UK, which was awesome fun. So how was the um, how was it for you to you know to manage the the pilot life with the triathlete life? Yeah, so back back when I was working for Flybe, it, it was difficult because it was um, lots of lots of days flying around, lots of short flights, really busy. Um, but I still had quite a lot of time to train around it. But then I worked there for five years, and then after five years, I moved to Jet2, which is a, a big summer holiday airline in the UK. Um, and there, well, obviously, because it's a summer holiday airline, it's really busy in the summer. Um, but then the winter really tails off. So you get a lot of free time in the winter to do, well, so I can do lots of training in the winter. And then summer, it's just more of a management exercise, really. It's, it's always shift work, so... I have no set pattern, so if anyone was to was to coach me, they'd have have a uh, a bit of a time trying to jiggle a training schedule around around the shifts. But it does work well. It just means I have to train um, on my own rather than you know turning up to a club session every Monday night because I'll be working most Mondays or or whatever. But if it's a very different routine from the normal triathlete or normal age grouper. Yeah, yeah. Every week for me is just completely different. It works around my shift, my my schedule at work but um my friends and wife would <laughs> definitely suggest i do not very much work <laughs> even <laughs> even in the even in the summer it's you know our shifts are quite long so if we're flying across to cyprus or tenerife that's like five hour flight each way plus getting to work and bits in between so you're at work for 13 14 hours so you only really do three or four flights a week and then the rest of the time's yours. Yep. I had to fit all the training in the in the between then. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it, it does involve like even if you're doing a 13, 14 hour shift, you're you're either starting really early in the morning, sort of four a.m., or finishing really late at night, four four a.m. You're coming back, so um, you do get quite a bit of the day to still to train, but you just have to have to uh, try and fit in sleep as well, which is a difficult so, bit. So tell me something. You are a pilot. You're a triathlete. How did you get involved with coaching then? So, yeah, I started coaching three or four years ago, just helping out at the local triathlon club, um, just where I could. And then after doing my, my qualifications here in the UK, and then started with TTH just over a year ago now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been going really well. It's obviously yeah, a lot to balance with the training and the work, but yeah, because I was asking you, um, doing a fourteen-hour shift plus training in you know your own uh, workouts and then coaching, how can you manage everything in terms of uh, of your time? And then you have to have your personal uh, life at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of planning and moving things around and. You know, if I'm not feeling it after that shift, then I can just have to move my week around. It's obviously um, changing. And that's that's actually, I did, I was really bad for burning the candle at both ends and really sacrificing my sleep. And I think 
in 2020 with um, the fact that I've not actually been going to work very much at all because of um, mm-hmm. yeah. flying restrictions. I've been on furlough for most of the year and it's just, it's been incredible. I've been, <laughs> been able to average about nine hours sleep a night since well, the whole of 2020 really. And looking back at what I used to do when I was doing those 14 hour shifts, getting up at three in the morning, flying 14 hours and then trying to come and do a training session. It's just like, how did I do that? And probably, <laughs> probably wasn't the best thing to do. So when I, when I do get back into the full swing of work, hopefully when the airline industry recovers in 2021, like we all hope it does, then I'll be yeah, big time prioritizing sleep, I think. It's just so important. So would you say that planning would be the secret for you to be able to do everything? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm not coached at the moment. Like I say, it would be a bit of a task for a coach to to try and fit all my sessions in around the work. But yeah, I, I do take a bit of time to plan out things and make sure there is sufficient rest where I can. Mm-hmm. And that's because, um, as you may know, well, we have athletes also, uh, sometimes they struggle to try to fit their own workouts in their um, personal life and in their professional life. Um, when I hear you doing 14 hours of work plus training plus coaching you really need to be very focused and very good at planning because it's it's almost like building up a puzzle um it's impressive it is yeah like i say it's like a, a, a tough week at work would be four of those shifts and then you but then you get a nice three-day block off so i mean you can you can do the easy sessions around the work and then have a, a good three-day block of harder training if you if you need to yeah so it's just thinking about what's coming up in that week and um we normally get our rosters six weeks ahead of time so it's not as if it's getting sprung on you you can sort of see where the gaps are in the schedule and um you know prioritize the sessions you're going to try mm-hmm. and put in around it um and you spoke about uh, getting you know enough hours of sleep um what about nutrition how important is the nutrition in your uh, daily basis because you need a lot of you know good food to be able to uh to have energy during the day and during the week um how do you plan that nutrition for for you yeah so um especially on a work day it's tough i have a, a fairly enormous cool bag lunch box that i take with me and all of my my fellow fellow colleagues at work obviously <laughs> taken aback at how much food i take with me but you know i need it if i'm doing a, a session after work or i've done a session before work then yeah it's important to get the fuel back on board so i really I plan it all. I cook it all from scratch. I just, um, I'm quite good at batch cooking and putting loads of meals in in the freezer that I can just grab and take to work in a cool bag. It works really well. You see, um, yeah, a lot of people are, are much less organised at work and just grab a sandwich from the the services or buy something off the trolley in the uh, in the plane. But yeah, I love I love cooking, so it helps. Um, yeah. And for those who are listening, uh, John has made a video um, cooking. This was in March or April during the lockdown. Um, and I believe that you cooked vegetables, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I think that was a, a tofu stir fry of some sort. Something we, like that. It, it, it looked amazing. I had to try it. I haven't tried it yet. Um, so it's interesting because you, you have to plan your week in terms of um, fitting up all the workouts and your schedule, plus the amount of rest that you need to do plus the food that you're going to eat and the, when you have to cook it, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like like I say, the batch cooking really helps with that. Um, just cooking enormous meals that will last for dinner that night, dinner the next night, maybe a bit of lunch, and then stick the other half in the freezer ready to go for work. That's what I tend to do quite a lot. Um, 
but like yeah at the moment because of not not working at all really in 2020 it's just mm-hmm. um yeah. been a lot of been a lot, a lot of cooking a lot of experimenting with with new new recipes and it's been quite good fun actually <laughs> so no, no trying new stuff then yeah get some new get some new ideas for the batch cooking for next next year um that's great i have to be honest with you john i i think it's, it's a very good example on how organization and planning make a huge role in your daily basis uh, routine um however um not everything has been good for you as we as we know um was it two years ago or one year ago that you got uh, uh yeah so it's uh march what year are we in now 2020 yeah march 2018 i um yeah i got a little bit ill so um I'll go through the whole story if you want. Yes, of course. So I was, like I said, I work for this airline that is predominantly works in the summer. So they have this really good option where you can you can take a load of time off in the winter and do whatever you want, go traveling, um, spend time with the family. Um, because, you know, they need, they need lots of pilots in the summer, but in the winter they don't really need many pilots. So they give you this really good in, in incentive to take time off in the winter, with obviously with a pay cut. but. Um, people want to go and travel it's perfect so I always try and take a bit of extra time off in the winter so that particular year I've taken February and March off and um, I've been I've been known to be quite adventurous so this is my second big bike packing trip my proper like a foreign one so a few years ago I went down to Patagonia for 10 weeks on the same sort of thing where I took I took the winter off took a bike and just cycled from um where they start Santiago in Chile, all the way down to Patagonia, through Patagonia to Tierra del Fuego and Ushuaia at the bottom, which was just an epic trip. Um, my wife wouldn't let me go quite as far afield this time, so this time I was going to Morocco. I did um, wanted to do three weeks through the Atlas Mountains, and I plotted a route starting in Agadir, went south through the anti-Atlas Mountains, across some deserts, mm-hmm. just camping out having a brilliant time so this is like I was on a cyclocross bike with bike packing bags strapped onto it so fully fully self-sufficient tent stove having a whale of a time and then I was heading back north um crossing the Atlas Mountains uh at about 10,000 feet and this is where people might think oh you had a bit you had a big crash or fell off his bike or something but no it was um I felt a bit of a an ache coming from my nether regions which I obviously obviously put down to I've been sort of averaging about 100 miles a day in the saddle off-road for a lot of it so I was thinking oh maybe I've just sat awkwardly or given it a bit of bruising or something um but I did actually for me I actually did the sensible thing and didn't ignore it I sort of got to a hotel that night and um felt around in my testicle to see what was going on and it, it didn't feel very good at all it felt sort of like it was like a, it was like a ball of wood or something it was really strange but anyway the sort of achy sensation went away I was in the middle of nowhere so I couldn't do anything about it immediately um, so I carried on cycling cycled all the way north through past fairs and up to the north coast got a ferry to Spain rode across to Gibraltar and then I was planning to ride a bit through um, sort of the mountains near Malaga and fly back from Malaga or go up to Alicante or somewhere like that but Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit concerned about what was going on downstairs, so I, I flew back from Gibraltar, uh, and then obviously booked in with the GP, 
got referred for an ultrasound that didn't look too good and then went to see a specialist urologist who had seen the ultrasound results had a little feel of my testicle which was by now getting quite swollen as well it was getting really big which was a little bit concerning um and yeah he said two days later we're gonna operate and remove the testicle because it doesn't look good so <laughs> it all happened quite quickly and quite a shock to the system really um up until that stage no one had actually mentioned the word like confirmed it was definitely cancer mm -hmm. although my wife is um a doctor all the families are doctors and obviously my wife had had a, a feel and a look and things and she was pretty pretty convinced it was ca cancer i was sort of trying to keep a, a positive spin oh, it might not be it might just be you know bit of yeah. swelling or something uh but no i had the operation took it out and then obviously you have to have a few weeks to recover because it's not the nicest surgery to have yeah i think removed from that area um but yeah i was still i was happy managed to get back running and cycling maybe two or three weeks after that sort of started off nice and gentle in the gym on the the cross trainer and um it was actually swimming that I couldn't do for the longest time just because, you know, the operation goes in your groin and affects the bottom of your core muscles. So I found stretching stretching up in a streamlined position really painful for quite a few weeks. Um, then after recovery, I then went to see, got sent to the cancer hospital uh, because the lab results came back about three weeks later saying it was cancer. It was a germ cell tumour that had grown in my testicle, which was three centimetres big. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a shock. Uh, I now had cancer and the next stage was to find out if it spread anywhere else, which um, the early signs that it, that it probably had done because the, um, the cancer had sort of spread into the blood vessels in the testicle and um, they were quite worried that it had spread. So, you know, I'd, I'd read a lot online and spoken, not spoken, just read about people that had similar situations and, you know, the, they just have the operation and that's it, it hasn't spread anywhere. So it's just, it's obviously awkward having something like that removed, but then that's it, it's over, you'd have to think about it again. But if it has spread, then you've got to go down the whole chemotherapy route, which I was not obviously very excited about. Yeah, so waited to go see the specialist at the cancer hospital, which... Um, I was sort of hopeful that they'll say, oh, it'll be, it'll be okay. It's the, the, all the cancer's gone in with the surgery. But no, they um, did a scan and it spread into my one of my lymph nodes in my back. It's kind of it's kind of the first the first place it goes to. Um, so the, yeah, the cancer sort of follows a normal a normal sort of process of going from the testicle. It gets into the the lymph system, which is obviously used to drain all the waste products from your body. It sort of backtracks its way up there, so it had gone to my lymph paraaortic lymph node, which just sits near your spine. And then, if it progresses from there, it will go to your stomach and your liver, then your lungs, and then worst case, it will go to your brain. So, it had only gone to my lymph node. So it was stage two. Um, obviously, it's exactly the same thing that happened to Lance Armstrong. He just left it a lot longer, so it had gone past his lymph nodes into his stomach, liver and brain. So it got, he had stage four, but mine is stage two because I managed to catch it in his tracks, luckily. Yeah. Yeah, so that was how it all happened. And then it was um, chemotherapy time. 
Um, obviously, I was in a pretty daunting situation. Um, but now, looking at the timeline, it had been, I think, maybe four to six weeks since the surgery. So I was sort of back in, back in full fitness. And as soon as I figured out I was going to have to have chemotherapy, it's like, right, I need to be as fit as possible, possible to, yeah. to tackle this thing because it's going to basically kill my body. Like, they... Um, yeah, they pump three three drugs into you. It's called um, BEP chemotherapy. So it's bleomycin, etoposide, and cisplatin. And I think it's cisplatin, which is platinum, so mm -hmm. poisonous metal, and that's the one that does a lot of damage to you. Obviously, lose kills all your hair, um, all your eyebrows, eyelashes, that kind of thing. Anything that reproduces quickly in your body, it just goes for it and kills it. Because obviously it's trying to kill the cancer. Exactly, yeah, makes sense then. Takes takes other bits with it. Yeah, so I'd set about just smashing turbo sessions, running as much as I could. Um, the open water season had just started because we were sort of late March, early April. So I was like, right, get a few open water swims in because this is going to be a grim summer. And then, yeah, started. I um, started in late April. No, started in the first week of May, sorry, 2018. Um, in 2018? Sorry, no, 2019. Okay, because 2018, that's the, the same year that you did uh, Ironman Stone, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah so it's uh, 2019, all this. Wow, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive. Um, <laughs> so you kept training during the chemo? Yeah, so that was, that was the kind of stumbling block I came against. It was like, I'm really fit. I'm just going to see how I get on. Um, so the, the chemotherapy process was horrendous. It was, chemotherapy is different for every kind of cancer. Testicular, they sort of really go for it. They pump you full of all the drugs, but in quite a short period. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I was in from May till July. So just nine weeks, but nine solid weeks. Whereas different kinds of cancer, it sort of spread out over maybe a year and not quite as intense. That's what I'm led to believe anyway. Um, but yeah, it happens quite quickly. Your body just deteriorates quickly. It took maybe three weeks for me to lose all my hair. And sort of like, that's, that was the bit I was most nervous about. And like, right, I'm a proper cancer patient now. Old. <laughs> and look pretty horrendous. But no, I wanted to try and keep... I say training, it's more just exercising. And the big thing for me was that you were in hospital for five days straight. And having never really spent any time at all in hospital, that was like the worst bit for me yeah, like in, in this I believe yeah I've been on a cancer ward with um so I was in the male only section with you know like 30 guys in their 70s and 80s all in terrible shape and then I felt like well, why am I here sort of thing it's <laughs> just weird yeah, yeah. um so I, I every day I'd get up I sort of got into a routine breakfast was at half eight I'd have my porridge have a bit of toast and then that was it running kit on do a bit of stretching and then out the door I'd just disappear for an hour and the nurses thought I was absolutely mental <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not going to leave hospital grounds are you where are you going I was like no 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 and I'd just be off have my music and just go exploring and you know I, I sort of set I, I was sensible with it I'd have my heart rate monitor on have my Garmin on I was, if my heart rate goes above 130 I'm, I'm walking so like the first couple of weeks I could jog for half an hour but by by the end I was sort of jog walking and mainly walking really it really took its toll it's quite crazy actually just keeping your body moving yeah but this i'm so glad i did that for the 
the mental side really, just to get out of the hospital and think, you know, I am a, I am, I'm still able to function and get out and get a bit of fresh air. It's, it's quite nice. There's a nice little wood with some trails in near the hospital that I could go and explore. That made a massive difference. Yeah, so that lasted nine weeks. Um, one thing that was quite really quite restrictive was that to deliver the chemotherapy, I had um, a permanent line in my arm called a pick line mm-hmm. that goes into your biceps. So you've got this little plastic tube hanging out of your arm the whole time. So obviously, I couldn't go anywhere near a pool, it, it, with or without the, the tube, you can't go near a pool just because of the infection risk. Yeah. Um, but that little tube, sadly, um, right at the end of my chemotherapy, um, you know, it's, it's an open wound in your arm pretty much. It's obviously covered by bandages and dressings and things. Um, but it was the heat wave in July. It's like, well, cold for you, but it was, it was like 35 degrees here the whole time for like a whole weekend. And um, I managed to go to Glastonbury on that weekend, which was um, not something I was expecting to do, but I'd actually dealt with the chemotherapy quite well. And we had tickets as loads was going and I thought, oh, I'll go check out Glastonbury, maybe go stay in a hotel if I need to. But I was actually felt fine, felt really good all weekend. But then driving home, that area around the where the line enters the arm was got felt really sore. Mm-hmm. And then got home, checked it out, and it was pussing and bleeding. So I think the heat had just made me sweat and got a little bit of dirt in there, maybe. So that meant I had to be rushed into hospital because my temperature went to 39 degrees. And I felt sh- I was shivering and sweating. And yeah, so I, I got quite, you know, your chemotherapy destroys your immune system. So I got really sick um, from that infection. I was in hospital for eight days on a drip. <laughs> So it's quite the uh, quite the come down from Glastonbury, sadly. <laughs> um, and along with the infection, it actually gave me a DVT in the arm, a blood clot. Obviously, the body was trying to fend off the infection, sending extra blood there. And you are really um, susceptible to blood clotting after the chemo because it just wrecks your lung. Uh, sorry, wrecks your veins. And um, I've been on blood thinning, med- thinning medication for the whole time, which you have to inject yourself every day, which is another really bad bit of it. Um, but yeah, so I was pretty cropped at that point. But after that, that was it. Finished the chemo, infection went away, DVT cleared up with more medication. And that's when I sort of started my road back to health, which was sort of August 2019. And then uh, what was the next? The first thing I did was I was desperate to get back in the water as soon as I could after that uh, line was taken out my arm. Mm-hmm. I did the serpentine one-mile race. Three or four weeks after that, I gotta tell that's that's impressive. Um, it's the first time I'm I'm listening to this story, and I gotta tell you, I'm I'm shocked and impressed at the same time on how strong you were during that period. It's pretty crazy how it feels like a dream. Like even when I talk about it, I'm like, did that really happen to me? Like, because I feel like I'm back to I'm back to exactly how I was before, if not stronger than I was before now. Um, it is crazy. But so, how was the comeback after after all that uh, nightmare? Um, yeah, it must have been a, a mix of feelings, I, I believe. Yeah, I mean, doing that, even just doing that one mile race around the Serpentine, I went there thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to plod around. And <laughs> as soon as I got in the water, wetsuit on, hat on, I was like, I'm going for this. I hadn't done any swim training really. And it was a, it was a 1500 meters or a mile, and I just went for it and did quite a good time at the end. I was quite shocked. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
the next thing I sort of set on my comeback path was I did Exeter, Exeter Half Marathon. And I just trained a little bit, you know, gradually building up the running again. Cause, and I actually was, I went round only 10 minutes off my PB ever. It was like a 134, and I was like, wow. And it was a hilly course as well, I couldn't believe it. So that was only like six, seven weeks after finishing chemo. It's amazing how quickly your body recovers. And a half after it, it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's impressive. But let's so, say, yeah, the, 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 the sort of comeback for 2020 was obviously put on hold a little bit. I had so many races lined up that mainly, I don't know, proving to myself that, you know, the chemo hadn't, hadn't destroyed me as a triathlete I could come back and sort of be where I was before really so I was, I was supposed to be doing a lot of races outlaw half I was supposed to do out in Kashkaish. yeah I was supposed to be there with you out in Kashkaish. was it last well originally September then it got moved to November and then so, we got cancelled <laughs> yeah but I did manage to do a couple of races in 2020 did a, a local sprint triathlon which I came third I think Mm -hmm. and then Eva Castle um, middle distance which absolutely destroyed me I don't think it was anything to do with the uh, the cancer that was just bit me being ill prepared for the course it was yeah. a tough, tough old course that one John yeah. what, um, what piece of, of, the, of advice you would give to someone that is standing now in a very dark place and um, is uh, just is hopeless um, because you have been in a very dark place and uh, you managed quite well and it's impressive what you have done and how you did it. What yeah, so I think firstly, I'll say if, if anyone is interested in learning more about what I went through, then I one of my coping mechanisms at the time was to just write about it and write down what my feelings were. And at the time, I just wrote it in note form. I didn't have the energy to you know get it out on social media or anything, so I wasn't really in the right, right place. But I've, I since have written a... A quite detailed blog about everything I went to. Um, it's on triathleteversuscancer.com. You can follow me on social media or go to my website to read the blog. So if anyone wants to check that out, please feel free or just ask me any questions about anything to do with this because I think my biggest piece of advice, if anyone dealing with anything, yeah, like you say, any, if they're in a dark place for any reason, is just talking to other people, especially other people that have been through something like this. Mm -hmm. I, found, I found that really helped. I was so lucky, um, again, you can read, read all about this in my blog, that on my second uh, five-day stay in the hospital, I, you know, I was saying about I was just surrounded by all these old, old, old guys in bad shape. Um, the second time I went in for my long stay, I was, the guy across the, across the ward in the bed opposite me was a young guy, so I was like, oh, going to go talk to him, and um, started chatting, and it was crazy. He was diagnosed the day before me exactly the same cancer spread to exactly the same place he was I think the same age as me or six months older than me or younger something like that he got married the same weekend or the weekend before us the year before uh it's just so much in common and it made such a difference just having someone there to to, talk like, to. to relate to and say oh how do you find this bit or like chatting about you have to go and bank sperm at the uh, sperm bank which <laughs> no blokes really want to do and we were just chatting about that and laughing about it and um it was, it was it made it so much more pleasurable we were like playing fifa every night because that we managed to find a playstation and it well i say pleasurable and nothing about it was pleasurable but you know it made it it made it a lot more bearable 
Less worse then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I say just talking is like the best piece of advice. And obviously I should should say if anyone out there just be conscious of what your body's doing, like blokes, check your balls, ladies, check on anything, any other bits, just look out for lumps because if you're not sure about it, just get it checked, go see your GP. It's just so important. Like it can happen to anyone. If it can happen to me and my prime and my fitness, you know, traveling around Morocco, having the time of my life, and then that happens, it's just it just shows it can happen to anyone. Yeah. I think that's a very good piece of advice. And please, if you're listening, visit um the the blog, the website, social media. Um, because it's very, very, very interesting. Anyway, moving up to more positive things. Um during this lockdown, the first one in March, when we suddenly had to stay at home, um, you set up a goal for yourself. Would you like to talk with us a little bit more into detail? Yeah, so this was my my original plans for coming back. You know, I was talking about Outlaw and Ironman Kashkari, so I'd actually got a place um, on London Marathon as well uh, for a, a cancer charity, which obviously I realized really wanted to raise a lot of money and a lot of awareness and running the marathon. But clearly that was cancelled due to COVID. Um, so I wanted to do something else in order to try and raise a bit more money and you know keep myself busy during lockdown really and just another sort of challenge. So I came up with this um uh you know, people at the time were doing um you know marathons in the back gardens and climbing up mountains on Wift and you know the virus is around. I was just recently had chemo so I was like I don't want to do anything too sort of destructive to my body so I went through a long-term challenge which was I called nine weeks nine challenges um so I picked a series of challenges some of them physical like I was doing uh 90 reps of burpees and squats some of them were skill-based so I wanted to learn to juggle in nine weeks I wanted to I wanted to learn how to skip non-stop for nine minutes I was successful at those two. I was successful at juggling, successful at skipping. I wanted to read nine books. That was, for me, the toughest. Oh, so, <laughs> I'm so bad at reading. Um, but I did it. Some of them had to be a little bit shorter than your average novel, but um, I got through them all. And uh, I wanted to, wanted to learn to speak Portuguese a little bit, so I had a very good Portuguese teacher helping me out. <laughs> <Didn't> I, Diego? <laughs> that was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm definitely not fluent and I haven't spoken any for quite a while. So <laughs> There's no. always time for it if you want to. <laughs> yeah, if we manage to get back to the camps in Portugal next year, I'll, I'll be uh, coming back for some practice for sure. I will have time for it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I did nine weeks and nine challenges. It's it's good. I tried to get a few people to join in. So I had, I had mates doing the skipping. I had people reading books just through social media. It, it went down quite well, obviously. Um, to try and play, replace the marathon, which is which is good. At least I was managed managed to do something. And now that you are facing a new lockdown, will there be more challenges? Yeah, well, I signed up to um, nothing that I've invented. It's uh, a local a local events organisation here in Hertfordshire in the UK, which they they were fantastic through um, you know coming out of lockdown. They were setting up open water swims straight away. I think they ran the first triathlon and the first 10k sorry Sorry. yeah local 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 events company set up the first um local triathlon around here i think it was the first in the uk to go ahead and the first 10k so they've got they had loads of events going coming up um 
obviously they've had to cancel their recent ones. So they they've started up a a, a Zwift challenge where there's there's 15 stages to get done. Um, so I'm just in the process of knocking those off at the moment, which is uh, it's quite good. I've used Swift a lot to do racing and workouts, but I've not actually <clears throat> explored many of the maps or done many of the climbs. So it's been it's been quite good to uh, have a go at some of those. And hopefully by January or February, we'll be able to be together again and do some more interesting stuff all together. Oh, that'd be the dream. Imagine that. <laughs> John, it's been a pleasure listening to you, sharing your experience and your life uh, experience. Um, it's for sure a lesson for everyone. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, we're finishing our episode for today. Once again, thank you for joining in. Um, don't forget to visit John's uh, social media and his website. You want to say it again, John, please? Yeah, it's just www.triathleteversuscancer.com and at triathleteversuscancer on Instagram. Just wanted to say, Diego, there's um, one more bit of good news. So, going through all the cancer and everything last year was obviously a, a year that wasn't great, COVID this year. And um, one thing that is obviously a side effect of the chemotherapy and having a one part of your manhood removed is that having children becomes a little bit of a sort of may bit of a bone of contention as in chemotherapy can make you infertile so I was quite worried about that but out of the lockdown there has been another lockdown baby added to the list so Riley Jr. joining joining the the, the group next year oh yeah. this is amazing <laughs> congratulations guys I'm so happy for you thank honestly. you very much so yeah, after all that last year, it's just next year is going to be a really good year. I think so. Looking forward to it. It will be for sure. It will be. Oh my God! This is this is like congratulations. I'm very very happy for you, honestly. Okay, thank you. Okay, John, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me along. See you. Bye. Bye bye. The Believe Strive Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at trytrainingharder. Thanks for listening.